beginning to look a lot like Christmas around, is it not? And uh, with Christmas comes one of my favorite words, anticipation. Anticipation. Don't you love to see the children who are waiting for Christmas to come with that great look of anticipation on their faces? When they find that gift that they want and they want to take you to that gift or take you to the catalog or take you to the internet and show you on there, I want this, this is what I want for Christmas. Don't you love watching children as they have the holiday parties and and programs like we're going to have tonight and and as Al said, tonight's going to be a great, great time. I really hope you'll plan to come and be a part of that, not just for the entertainment value, but for the encouragement to the kids, but not just for that, but for the encouragement to each of us because there's a message in this program tonight that the Lord wants to let us know all about. So I hope you'll plan to come for that. But there's the, there's the programs, there's the presents, there's being out of school, there are the different activities at church. There's this agonizing wait for Christmas. Do you know what I'm talking about with kids? There's this agonizing wait for Christmas. And as I've heard in many different forms from my own children and children around church and other places, is this, this question here. When is it ever going to get here? Can I get an amen to that this morning? We love watching that because we've all been there. And we remember those days. In fact, I'm looking at faces now. Some of you are still in that situation. You can't wait. You anticipate greatly Christmas being here. Well, generations before Jesus came on the scene, people were anticipating the coming of the promised Messiah. And they were looking for the great promise of God to be fulfilled. They were looking for that and forward to that with great anticipation, asking the question, when, when is God going to fulfill His promise? And the promises of God about the coming Savior had been going on since really very early on in creation. You may remember the story from Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden and God had come to them and God was giving their judgment and God says to them in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And there we find the first prophecy, the first prediction, the first promise that God was going to send a Savior who would overcome the one who had caused us to stumble and fall into sin. And the answer, the promise would not be fulfilled, listen to this, not for a few weeks, not for a few months, not for a few years, but it would take thousands of years before the promise of God in sending the Savior would come. Other places in the Old Testament, God gives a hint, God gives a promise, God gives a description, God gives a prophecy to let us know more and more when the Savior comes, this is who He will be like, this is what He will do, this is how you'll know that this is the one that I'm sending. For example, in Genesis chapter 12, in verse 3, He'll be a descendant of Abraham. He'll be a descendant of Abraham. And He will bless all nations. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, the Savior would be called the light of the world. That's important to know. In Isaiah 9, and verse 6, He would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 53 through 56, He would be known as the Suffering Servant, that, that when God sends this Savior into the world, 
He will bear the burden and pay the penalty in His own body that, that is due to you and I as sinners before a holy God. He will be our substitute and He will take our place. In Psalm chapter 2, He is called the Son of God. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we're told He would be born in Bethlehem. And there are hundreds more of these prophecies where God says, when I send the Savior, when I send Him, here's who He will be and what He will accomplish and what will be done. One of the most prominent promises of God about the Savior occurs in the book of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14 where it says, The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. The Savior who is coming, who would be called the Son of God, was going to be born of a virgin. And the people are scratching their heads and wondering, how can this be? But for generation after generation and promise after promise, the people began to cry out for God, send your Savior, send your Messiah. And just like a child at this time of the year at Christmas, they were saying to God in their prayers, when is it ever going to get here? Because life is hard. And times are tough. And sickness has come. And death has come. And people are evil towards one another. And in fact, the evil one has, has wrecked havoc upon the human race. When is it ever going to get here? One of my favorite Christmas songs is that great hymn of the faith, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You're familiar with that song, are you not? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, from a book entitled Stories Behind the Best Love Songs at Christmas. It says this, O come, O come, Emmanuel may be the oldest Christmas carol still sung. The author is unknown, but believed to have been a monk writing around the year 800 A.D. That's a while back. That's older than Rodney Hicks. The writer of this song had a rich knowledge of both the Old and New Testament. The song has been translated into dozens of languages and is used in most of the Christian denominations all around the world. Originally, this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, had seven verses, each verse designating a title of the Lord Jesus and describing the ministry He would accomplish as the Savior of the world. And in, in days gone by, one verse was chanted or sung each day leading up to Christmas. The seven days leading up to Christmas, they would dwell on just one verse of this great song. One theologian said, It is a simple, reverent tribute to the birth of Christ and the fulfillment of God's promise to deliver His children from sin. The song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, begs the question, just like we've talked about earlier that was going on in Israel, just like we talked about with the boys and girls, and even maybe what some of you and I are dealing with in the days in which we live, is the question, Oh God, when is it going to come? When are you going to make things right? When are your promises going to come true? Would you stand with me this morning? Because I've got some good news for you.
The good news is God did deliver on His promise. The good news is that God is still delivering on that promise. And the best news is that there's still part of that promise that is yet to come sometime in the future on God's timetable. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, we find the fulfillment of the promised Messiah. Let me read those words for you. The angel said to Joseph, That which is conceived in her, speaking of Mary, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And our Heavenly Father, this morning, would you help us to to be reminded and to better understand or even to be informed for the very first time about the wonderful promise of the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you help us to better comprehend and put our faith in the God who is not only in all over creation, but the God who is with us in every circumstance of our life. We pray, our Heavenly Father, you'd help us today to recognize, to believe in, to receive, to affirm, and to walk daily with God who is with us, that our lives might reflect your glory and your faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I want to take just a a few moments that we have this morning, and I want to look at the three words of the name Emmanuel. God with us. And so let's look, first of all, at who it is that is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is God. Lots of people have questions about God. Questions such as, is there a God? Who is God? What is God like? How can I know God? Does God care about me? Does God love me? Can God do anything about the circumstances that I find myself in? Lots of great questions. But the scripture also gives us lots of great answers to these and many other questions as well. The Bible describes just who God is. And and our length of time this morning won't allow me to go over the whole list of just who God is from the Bible. But I do want to take just a moment and run through a list of what theologians call the attributes of God. That Scripture affirms and our experiences affirm as well. Here is who God is. For example, God is infinite. He is infinite. We know that there's no beginning and there's no end to God. We know that that you can go as far as the the east is east and as far as the west is west, and God is there. We know that God is infinite in all things. We can't comprehend the term infinity. Do you know why that is? Because everything about our lives has a beginning and it has an end. Some things we just can't comprehend, and the infinity of God is one of those. We find also that God is self-existent. God needs nothing beyond Himself in order to exist. You know, so there's some things you and I, we have to have in order to exist. We have to have air in order to exist. If you don't believe that, well, no, never mind. We're not going to do that right now. But when you get home, (laughs) 
Hold your breath as long as you can. And at some point you'll recognize your need for air will exceed your desire to hold your breath. We have to have air. We have to have food. We have to have rest. We have to have shelter. Aren't you thankful for shelter on a day like today? We have to have these other things outside of ourselves in order to exist. But did you know that God is self-existent? He needs nothing in order to exist. God is self-sufficient. There's nothing else that He needs to, to get up. God never runs down to Walmart to see if they have anything on special. <laughs> he is able to sustain Himself completely. God is eternal with no beginning and no end. He has always been. Jesus said on one occasion, before Moses was... I am. That makes no sense at all unless you're God. And that's who He is. The Bible says that God is immutable. I love that as an attribute of God. God is immutable. What that means is God never changes. Aren't you thankful God never changes? That the truth is the truth yesterday and today. And you can bank on the truth of God's Word. You can bank on the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. We can bank on the fact that God loves us. We can bank on the fact that God cares for us. We can bank on the fact that there is a heaven. At no time is God going to come and say, well, up until now, we've had this policy about going to heaven, but going forward, it's going to be another policy altogether. I need you to fill out three forms in triplet, get this person in three... No, 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 no. God never changes. And what He has revealed to us about who He is but our relationship to Him will always be true. God is omnipresent. I love the three omnis of God. He is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere at the same time. God is here in this place. You realize that, right? God is here in this place as we worship this morning. God is also at your home. He's also at your place of employment. He's also at your school. God is also on the highway with those People driving down the road in all kind of crazy ways. God is across the ocean. God is on the top of the mountain. God is at the bottom of the sea. God is behind the farthest rock on the farthest planet away from earth. God is all over space. There is not any place where God is not. He is omnipresent. God is also omniscient. He is all-knowing. Nobody will ever surprise God with something that God did not know. Now, we may ask God all kinds of questions, and we may think we have some answers, but it will never be an answer that surprises. God will never say to anybody in heaven, Oh, I didn't know that. Because He is all-knowing, omnipresent, omniscient, and God is omnipotent or omnipotent. He is all-powerful. We see amazing displays of power when we see nuclear reactors. We see amazing displays of power as we see Christmas lights in different parts of the town. We see amazing displays of power when we see a rocket launched into outer space. We see amazing displays of power in all kinds of different ways. But there is no power that is anywhere close to the all-encompassing power of God because God is omnipotent. And God is sovereign. That means God rules over everything. This sovereignty of God raises questions. Well, if God is in charge, why did my mama get sick and die? 
If God is in charge, why are there wars and rumors of wars? If God is in charge and God is good, why did this happen? Why did that happen? And those are certainly good questions, but they do not take away from the fact God is sovereignly in charge of all things at all times, in all places, with all power. That's who God is. And He is so much more. Time just won't allow all of the descriptions of God from the Scripture. But God is. But we also find out that God wants us to know who He is. We can't know who God is on our own. We look up. We look around. We may come to all these different conclusions. But we will not know who God is unless God chooses to reveal Himself to us. Which is exactly what He has done. God reveals Himself to us in many ways. I want to take just a moment and mention that one of the ways God reveals Himself is through the use of His names. He reveals Himself through the use of names. Different names that He gives Himself to describe who He is and what He does and how He invites us to join Him through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me ask a question this morning just, and just see. So, so God reveals Himself in names. How many different names of God are there in the Bible? Let me hear a couple of answers. Anybody? Whole bunch. Whole bunch, alright, down here on the front. <laughs> Somebody else? Ten? Okay. Yeah, how many? Not what are they? How many different names? Over 80 in the Old Testament. Over 80 in the Old Testament, okay. One theologian, one researcher has said that with names and titles of God, there are 955 in the Bible. Now, I didn't check him out. I don't know. But 955. That's a lot of names. And a lot of titles. Every time we turn around in the Bible, God is revealing Himself through the use of His names by doing what He does to let us know exactly who He is. I want to give you some of the more prominent names of God that we find in Scripture. One is Elohim. Elohim. God reveals Himself as the Creator. We see this in the early part of the Bible, Genesis 1, uh, 1, through, uh, Genesis 1 through 3, that it is God who creates. And He created all there is. And the Bible says that this great God spoke into nothing and out of that came everything. Can you believe that? Can you comprehend that? We can't. But that's who God is. Another name of God is, I love this one, God reveals Himself as Abba. Abba means what? Father. Our Father. Our relationship with God is a relationship of a small, helpless child to a loving, strong Father who will always look out for the best interest of that child. God reveals Himself as, as Father. Then I love this one too. God reveals Himself as Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. There is nothing before God and there is nothing after God. Everything is God. That's who He is. He reveals Himself in that way. Another name of God is El Elyon. God Most High. He is over and above all things. Another one I like is El Roy, the God who sees, the God who is omnipresent, the God who sees everything. This is not El Roy, that's not God's name, it is El Roy. I'd get that straight, right? The God who sees. Another name of God that he uses to reveal himself is El Shaddai, God Almighty, the sovereign God who rules over the universe. Then another name for God is the name Yahweh, the self-existent one. I am 
who I am, and there is none other besides me, says the Lord. And there are many others. I'm not going to go through the whole list. I don't know if I even know the whole list, but there are many others. But one more name I do want to share with you is this. God reveals himself through the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Just like the name Abba conveys a sense of relationship between a child and his father, Emmanuel conveys the sense that God, who is all the names and attributes that we've shared, God comes to us and is with us in every circumstance of life. The hymn I mentioned earlier, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, refers in each verse to Jesus. And it uses a biblical name, a biblical title for just who He is. For the coming Savior, and it points out exactly what role He will fulfill. And at Christmas, as we sing all the wonderful songs, we've sung already some of them this morning, as we'll sing in a few moments this great hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we find each verse refers to a name, a title, and a, an accomplishment of the coming Messiah for the nation of Israel, but also for you and I. In the first verse, we find that name, Emmanuel, God with us. And that name tells us that He will pay the ransom. He will pay the price. He will take care of setting us free from the burden of sin because Jesus is going to die on the cross. He's going to pay the penalty. He's going to pay the price that only the God-man can pay. The suffering servant in Isaiah is going to come to, to reality in the person of Jesus Christ and He will pay our debt and He will be with us and the price of being with us is the cross. God will be with us so that we can be with God. We'll never be able, we are never able to say, where is God? I want to be close to God. Because God has come to be with us. Another of the verses of that great hymn refer to the name of God, Jesus in the Old Testament, as the rod of Jesse. The rod of Jesse. You remember David the, was the son of Jesse? In Isaiah 11.1 1, it speaks about that the Messiah would be a shoot or a sprig springing out of a dead stump. The picture of the coming Messiah is the picture of a dead stump and all of a sudden out of a dead stump a sprig or a, a twig springs up because out of death comes life. And that's going to be who Jesus is. He will free people by His death and resurrection from the tyranny of the evil one who has hounded us and come against us since the beginning. And He will save us from the depths of hell and the depths of the grave. And just as Jesus will bring forth life from death, you and I can have life after death because of what Jesus has done for us. Anybody say amen to that this morning? Another name for Jesus in that great hymn is Dayspring from Luke chapter 1 and verse 78. The dawn, the day spring is, is, is that moment when the sun crests out of the darkness. There, there's a great darkness in the land. You can't see anything uh, because we don't, you don't have a flashlight. And, and it's just so pitch black, dark, 
And all of a sudden, the sky begins to lighten. And all of a sudden, there's this light that shines off in the distance. And you can see the sun begin to top out over the horizon. That's the day spring of the day. And the Bible says His mercies are new every morning. And that light that comes is going to be the dawn of God's kingdom. And the one who comes will be the light of the world. And He will banish hopelessness and darkness and sin and death. And they will be gone as the sun shines across the sky and into our lives. Another name mentioned in the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, for the Messiah, from Isaiah twenty-two twenty-two, is the name Key of David. The Key of David. What does that mean? It means that He rescues us from hell. That this, the coming Messiah is going to rescue us from hell. And watch this. He's going to lock the door to hell. And then He's going to unlock the door to heaven. And He's going to deliver us through that door so that we can go to heaven. He's the key of David. That's what He's going to do. He's also called wisdom from on high. Wisdom from on high. James chapter 3 speaks of that. And, and the hymn describes how the wisdom from God exposes knowledge and it directs our steps in the way that we should go. How do we know what we're supposed to do this coming week or next month or next year? How do we know what we're supposed to do in regards to our marriage and our parents and our children? How do we know what we're supposed to do with our finances and our relationship? How do we know what we're supposed to do? We need wisdom from on high. And that's who the coming Messiah is would be. That's who Jesus is. And one last name that we see in this great hymn is that the coming Messiah would be the desire of nations. All the nations of the earth will look to the Messiah, the promised one of God. Not just the Jews, not just Israel, but all the nations of the earth will look to the one whom God has sent. And He will be their desire. And the Scripture tells us in Haggai 2.7 that God is going to shake the earth and He will draw to His own self people from every nation and there will be a ceasing of divisions and there will be a kingdom of peace. That's who the coming Messiah would be. Each name describing the identity and ministry of the Savior. Each verse speaking of how Jesus overcomes our sinful condition. And each verse ending with the chorus, Rejoice! Rejoice! Because Emmanuel, the long-promised Messiah, has come. And He is God with us. One theologian I was reading this week said this, that, that in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the Christian life is on display. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Already, but not yet. Fulfillment of the glorious promises of God, yes, but consummation with the new earth and new bodies and no sin, not yet. We're left with the words of anticipation. Come, O come, God with us, Emmanuel. God with us. The second word we see in that name, Emmanuel, is the word with. We, just, we, we, we often just would, would overlook the with part. Uh, God us. God with us. Just kind of go right by it. In Webster's Dictionary, the word with is described or defined in, in at least three ways. One way is 
to come alongside, to be near to, or to be in the company of. That's what with means. And the Bible refers to Jesus in all of those ways. For example, God is alongside His people. The word with means alongside. God is alongside His people. In John chapter 14, Jesus is describing the time after He leaves the earth. And He says, when I'm gone, I'm going to send you a comforter. And the name for the comforter there, the Holy Spirit, the name for Him is the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. Jesus said, when I'm gone physically from you, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit of God, is going to come alongside of you. And where you go, He will go. And what you do, He will be right there. And what you think, He will know all about. He will come alongside. But also, with is described or defined as near to. And God is near to His people. He is near to us. So He knows what we think. That's dangerous, isn't it? He knows how we think. He knows what makes us happy. He knows what makes us sad. God who is near to us knows when we are down in the dumps. He knows when we are on the top of the mountain. God who is near us knows the struggles of our heart. God who is near us knows the temptations that are most tempting to us. God who is near us knows everything about us. And He loves us. And He stays as Emmanuel near to us, His children. With also means to be in the company of. God is in the company of His people. Beautiful picture described in Genesis. When God had formed Adam and Eve and breathed the breath of life into them, God kept company with them. He would come to the garden, they would walk and they would talk and they would share and God would speak to them and they would speak to God and then they would hear Him, His presence and they would come out and, and there they were in this beautiful relationship being in the company of God. Reminds me of a Sunday school class I heard about one time. The teacher was teaching a group of young children and they were talking about the names of God, Alpha and Omega Yahweh, Elohim, all these different names. And the teacher asked, I said, boys and girls, tell us, which, which of the names of God is your favorite? And this, Billy said this one, and Bobby said that one, and Mary said this one, and Susie raised her hand, and, said, and the teacher said, yes, Susie, what is your favorite name of God? And she said, Andy. We didn't talk about Andy and listen. Tell me, why do you say your favorite name for God is Andy? She said, we sing about it all the time. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me that I am his own. Listen, Andy is now one of the names of God because that's exactly what he does. He is in our company. That's who God is. Our last word is the word us. This is where we come in. I'm glad, aren't you? God with us. Now, as we think about God and, and all of His magnificence and glory, we can think about God keeping company or being with the angels because that's a glorious sight. You can imagine up there in heaven that God is around all the angels and, and what a glorious thing that must be as they're surrounding the throne and they're flying back and forth across the throne and one is calling out to the other, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty and the doorposts are shaking and the whole place is filled with smoke as Isaiah had that beautiful vision of God back in the Old Testament. 
I can imagine God keeping company with those angels, can't you? I can imagine God being in His glorious creation and going and, and as He is omnipresent all places at the same time and, and God just, just dwelling on different parts of His creation. And you can imagine, if you will, the, all the beauty of this earth is after the fall. Can you imagine what it must have been like before the fall? In all the, the deep, dark places of the universe when God is there and all of creation that He has made and all the, the intricacies of the, of the big and the small and the minute and everything in between that God has created, we can imagine God being in the presence of His creation and knowing what a beautiful sight that is. But why would God want to be with us? Why would God want to be with us, we have inherited from our ancestor Adam dis uh, disobedience. We, we have, we've gathered with, with our ancestor Adam into a sinful nature. And like Adam, we're each determined to do things our own way and to go our own way away from the things of God. We've each determined to do that. And, and just like Adam, we are all resistant to the laws and the commandments of God. And if you say, well, Pastor Mark, I'm not resistant to the laws and the commandments of God. Just start measuring yourself and you'll see at every possible turn, you, you like I, like everybody else, are resistant to God's commands. So why would God ever want to have an audience with us? David asked that question in the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 5. David said, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. God has crowned us with the glory and the honor. God has put his image within us. Imago Dei, the image of God, is within each and every one of us. Not because of anything that we have done, but because God has chosen to create us in his own image. We can't imagine why God would want a relationship between himself a perfect and righteous God and sinful people like us. We just can't imagine that, but yet He does. We can't imagine, we're amazed that God would continue to love us and He would seek to restore us even when we've sinned. And we, we can't possibly fathom how God would love us so much. He would send His only Son, not an angelic being, nothing else that was created, but His very self he sent to die on the cross for our sins. We can't imagine that, but God does love us just that much. Isn't that encouraging to know? Amen. And we know God through our faith in the Lord Jesus, and we become His children and come into His family, and He promises to remain with us to the very end of the world, and He promises to receive us into glory. What a wonderful thing that is. And we have this great promise that through the name Emmanuel, we know God is with us. God with us. Would you say those three words with me right now? God with us. Say them again. God with us. When life is tough, God with us. When life is difficult, say it with me, God with us. When life is sweet, 
God with us. When there is loss and there is pain, say it, God with us. When there is joy and there is sorrow, say it, God with us. When there is struggle, say it with me, God with us. And when there is victory, say it again, God with us. I've had a tough week. I've had a tough week. Two of my heroes have had difficult times. One of those, my best friend Mike, his dad, Don Davis, passed away this past week. When I was a rambunctious, unchurched, foul-mouthed, ill-tempered teenager who came to know Jesus, my best friend was Mike. And he and his family were part of Guest Road Baptist Church. And they took me in. And I spent so many nights at their house. And I remember, I remember being amazed that a husband and a wife could talk to each other the way I saw Don and Angelette Davis talk. And, and, and I, I was amazed at the way a father interacted with his children. And that was at a key point of my life. My spiritual development was there. And all these years since, Mike and I are still buddies. We stay in touch. Every once in a while, I get, a, get, get connected with uh, Don and Angelette Davis. I remember a few years ago, I was down outside of Charlotte where Mike is a pastor and Don and Angelette had come by and we're talking and Don says, hey, let me show you my toy. We walk outside. There is a fire engine red Corvette sitting out there. That was his toy. And this past week, Don Davis passed away. And a part of my heart just went out. But here's what I know. God with us. This past Thursday, if you haven't heard, our founding pastor here at Ridgecrest, Ernest Farrell, had a debilitating stroke, not expected to make it. And I've uh, been at the hospital a few times to, to visit with him and Tommy, Denise, and Ann. And uh, it, is both, it is a bittersweet time because Ernest is able to talk and communicate and, uh, and share. And uh, everybody that goes in there just leaves, just blessed. And uh, we, Pam and I went up Thursday night. It was about 11 o'clock. We got to the hospital, and uh, they said, said, Ernest, Mark Francis is here. And he can't, he can't open his eyes, his face is droopy as, you know, the stroke. And he said, I've been a pastor for 64 years, and I've tried to be faithful. That's what he said. Ann, if you know Ann, she's got a, a great wit. She was down there at his feet, and she said, well, Ernest, it's time for somebody else to be faithful. I've had a tough week with these two men who are heroes, mentors, and examples. And this week, my saving grace has been my study for this passage of Scripture, this message. That God is with us now, and God carries us forward into eternity. Not because of righteous things we've done, but because of His great love for us. I really hope that you have experienced that great love that God makes available to all of us through faith in Jesus Christ. O come, O come, Emmanuel is an ancient hymn written anticipating the coming of God into the world to fulfill His own promises. And it's a celebration of that great truth. But we find ourselves between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. 
The first coming of Christ, he came as a baby in a manger. The second, he'll come as a savior in the sky. The first time he came to bear the burden of our sins and die on the cross. The second time he comes as the holy and the righteous judge. And the call for us is to know him and receive him and respond to him. I hope you've done that. And if you've done so, I hope you'll pray like me, oh Lord, go ahead and come. Whenever you're ready. If you've never made that commitment, you've never made that decision to trust in Jesus Christ. The good news I've got for you is that today can be that day. It's never too late as long as there's breath in your lungs and a desire in your heart. But we never know because we're not promised tomorrow. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I would encourage you today to cry out to Him in your heart. Oh God, thank you that you are with us through Jesus. And I thank you that Jesus died in my place and bore my sins on the cross. And I thank you, oh God, that He was buried and on the third day raised from the dead with the power of the resurrection. And I pray, O oh God, that Jesus would come into my life, forgive my sins, take me to heaven one day, and be with me from this day forward. We find ourselves in between the comings of Christ. The first time He came, after years and generations of longing, and when He comes a second time, it'll be after generations and decades of longing. The last two verses in the Bible reflect the desire for the coming of Christ. Revelation 22, verse 21 and 22. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. That's the words of Jesus. Surely I am coming. And I'm coming soon. How long is it going to be? How many, how many days till Christmas? How long is it going to be? How many more months do I have to suffer? How long is it going to be? How many more years or generations of people have to be born and live and die? When is it going to be? We don't know. But he says, I'm coming soon. And he says, Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. He is with us.